if you would open to 1 John as we continue through. This wonderful book together. We've seen three tests, right? There was the doctrinal test. Who is Jesus? Do you believe the Jesus of the Bible? The Jesus as he is offered to you in the gospel. We've seen the relational test. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you love one another as we've been commanded to love one another? And that connects to this moral test. Do you love God's word? Do you keep God's law? Do you, do you desire to do that? Or do you just follow your own ways? Or the ways of the world? Those are tests that we've seen. And so today, uh, it's that test again, that moral aspect that we see in 1 John uh, chapter 2. We're going to start reading in um, verse 20. 8 and 29, and we'll go through chapter 3, verse 10. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears... We shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident that we are the children of God. And who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not from, of God. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. Amen. This is God's word. Well, I have good news and bad news. 
Good news is a one-point sermon today. One point. Bad news, there are eight arguments in that one point. So however you want to diagram that or outline that, that's up to you. There is one point, but Paul makes eight different arguments in these verses concerning that one point. In this section, John wants to stress over and over again, remember there are these false teachers who are in this church. Uh, we saw them in 1 John chapter 1. And those false teachers have said things like, uh, Christians, you don't need to worry about mortifying sin. Uh, or, Christian, you're not even able to sin anymore, so don't worry about it. Or, they said things like this, Christian, you don't have a sin nature anymore. Or, they said this, what you do in the body doesn't even matter because only the spirit matters. They would say all types of things like that. They would say following instructions in God's word about living for holiness and righteousness, it's not even needed. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you live. That's the type of things that they were saying. And John has been saying over and over again, that is wrong. Christians do struggle with sin. Christians are able to sin. In fact, Christians do sin. Remember John said, 1 John 1, 8, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. And we're liars. But, remember 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us. We see, we've seen that time and time again. And so John wants to make it clear there is, for the Christian, there's this ongoing struggle in the Christian life. But he also wants to make this clear. Jesus did not just come to forgive you of your sins. He came to change you. He, he came to make you new, to, to renovate you, to make us like himself, to fully restore in us the image of God, to be like God in moral holiness. That's what he's come to do. John knows that Christians are never perfect in this life. He knows that. But he also knows every Christian desires to be like their Savior. They want to be like him. And that reality begins the, minute, the very minute you become a Christian. You want to be more like Jesus. Why? Because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives and starts changing us. This is called sanctification. This is what's going on. It's the work of the Spirit in accordance with grace, and it will be completed on the last day. So he exhorts Christians here, pursue holiness, seek righteousness, you do that. How? By living and practicing righteousness. If you're a Christian, that's what you're exhorted to do. All right? Well, why? And that's his eight This can be his eight Why should you do that? Why should you pursue righteousness? Why should you be practicing righteousness? And so we're just going to walk through his eight arguments, all right? Some of them we might uh, uh, make some other comments, but 
we're going to try just to walk through those eight arguments. So I'll, I'll try to make it clear which number we're on. Argument number one, found there in 1 John 2, 29. Here's, he's good, this is what he gets to. Christ is holy, and pursuit of holiness there is a mark of everyone that's been born of Christ. Listen to how he says it. If you know that he, Christ, is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. So, John's saying, if you know Jesus, if you know him, one of the things you know about him is this. He's holy. Jesus is holy. That there's no unclean thing in him. In Jesus Christ, there's only perfection. Peter says that, right? Like a lamb without spot, without blemish. If you know Jesus, you know he's perfect. He always obeyed the Father. Only perfection. In Jesus, there was no sin at all. Matter of fact, in Jesus is the only perfect human example. That's who Jesus is. If you know him, you know he's holy. And so John says, if you're born of him, you've been born to holiness. Remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. We say this all the time when people are baptized. You've been, you've died with Christ and you've been raised again with Christ to walk, how? In newness of life. Familiar with that phrase? That's how we've been raised again to walk in the newness of life. That newness of life. What is that? We've been raised to walk in newness of life. We've been raised to live a life of holiness and righteousness, just like Christ lived. That's what we've been called to. So that's the first part of John. I'm sorry. Why should you pursue holiness? Because Jesus is holy. And if you're born of Christ, you're going to, you've been raised to walk that way too. But then he goes on. And then he's stressing, it's a privilege to be called his child, isn't it? It's an enormous privilege. Here's the second point. Listen to his words. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. So that's the second point. He reminds us, so Christian, this is amazing. Christian, you're God's child. And some of you may just need to hear that this morning. You're God's child. If you're a believer, you're God's, God has adopted you into the family of God. So just pause on that. Reflect on that. Reflect on the enormity of that. You're God's child. You were born, you were by nature, children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. But you've been invited into the family of God. You've been invited. Uh, the Spirit of God's been poured out in our hearts. Now, we call him our Father, Abba, Father. You have been made joint heirs with Christ. So, just as Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, he looks on you as his own 
child, joint heirs with Jesus. How about that? Can you imagine that? That's a privilege. That should foster your heart to worship him. He's called you, and you're his child. You're in his family now. Praise the Lord for that. Third argument why you should pursue holiness. He elaborate, he, he, he opens that up about you are his child. Look at verse 2. He says, if you understand the privilege of being adopted into the family of God, so if you understand what it means to be children of the living God, then we realize one of the qualities of children is to bear resemblance to their parents. And not just physical resemblance, but morally to be like him. So, he says, those who are the children of God, they already do bear resemblance to their heavenly father. But one day, they're going to bear a perfect resemblance. Look what he says, verse 2. Now, we are children. Christian, right now, you're his child. Not just one day you'll be adopted to be his child. No, now you are his child already. You are children of God by his grace in Christ through the gospel. Hallelujah. But, he goes on to say, it has not yet appeared what will be. So you are his child already, but there's still something glorious to come. It's not fully completed yet, right? This is that already, not yet. We are children of God now, but we're not completely, we're not fully bearing the image of God perfectly now. There's still weakness in us. There's still sin in us. There's still failing in us. But one day, when Jesus Christ comes again, all that mess is gone. All of it. We'll be transformed Perfect. You've already been transformed, right? You've been brought out of darkness into light. You, you were by nature children of wrath. Now you've been brought in and you're the children of God. But one day, that faith becomes sight. One day, you'll be perfectly transformed. You'll be made like him. And that's what he says. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. Because we will see him as he is. We're good. So I, I've been changed. I am God's child now, but I will see Jesus one day and I'm going to be changed and I'm going to be perfectly morally like my father. That's what's set before us. And so think about that. Because you're a children of God, you've already begun to bear resemblance, right? Children often bear resemblance to parents, Right? At one point, I was 18 years old and was slim and had an Adam's apple, just like my two boys. And one day. One day, Jenna looks a lot like Rob did when Rob was young. Kids bear resemblance to parents, but also morally. So if we're God's child, we're called to bear that resemblance of our Heavenly Father, one day we will do that perfectly. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing to say? So, look at that sister, right? She reminds me of her father. 
She is like her heavenly father. Look at that brother. He acts like his heavenly father wants him to act. When I see that person, I see God who has revealed himself in the scriptures and made himself known. It's displayed that that God is their father. They're, they're being molded into the very image of God more and more so. It's being restored in that person. And so here's some more good news for you. Jesus Christ is coming again, right? And God, who began a good work in you, will be faithful to complete it under the day of Christ Jesus. That's what's taking place in this third argument. So, then he goes on. In verse 3, here's the fourth point of why you should pursue holiness. Those who live in the hope of being completely like Christ one day, they will pursue holiness right now. If that's your hope, if that's our hope, if that's your dream to one day be made completely like Christ, to be completely transformed, to, to be changed and be like him when we see him. If that's your hope, that when he comes again, you're going to be made like him, then John's argument is that you will pursue that holiness now. You're not just waiting for him to come. You're pursuing that now. Verse 3, what's he say? And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. He's coming. He's going to change me when he comes. But I'm pursuing that now. So if your hope is that one day in the coming of Christ, you're going to be made completely like him, what do I yearn for right now? I yearn to be like him. I want that day to come. I want to say, come, Lord Jesus, come now. And so I'm pursuing that now. I want to be made like him. I, I long to be made like him. I want to desire the things he desires. I want to love the things he loves. I want to do the very things that Jesus did. I want to avoid and abhor and hate the things that he avoided and abhorred and the things that he hates. That's what I want. You want to be like Jesus now. So we could just pause and say, do you want to be like Jesus? Do you want to be? That's an important question. In fact, John tells us, and here's the fifth argument. It's, that's an important question because the opposite of it, not pursuing holiness, but living in a life of sin, that is evidence that you don't know God. You haven't experienced his grace. Look what he says um, here. Verse 4. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. So John's saying, if you're pursuing a life of sin, that is evidence that you reject God's word. You reject uh, the word of Christ. He wrote it. He obeyed it. It's his. It testifies to him. If you pursue a life of sin, 
You're saying, I prefer to do it my way, not the way he's instructed. I want to do things the way I, just like Sinatra, I want to do it my way. I don't want to do it his way. I want to do it my way. When we pursue a life of sin, we say, I prefer to do it my way, even if that way is in opposition to God's way. He says those who practice sin, they're practicing lawlessness. It's evidence of your rejection of God's word, and that's a rejection of God's Christ. Because salvation is only revealed to us in the scriptures. All right? So, our way versus God's way. That's what's set out. God's way, that's called obedience. Our way is rejection. Rejection of the word, rejection of Christ. And then he goes on. He makes a sixth point. And here's his argument, verses 5 and 6. Since Christ came to make us holy, the person who practices lawlessness, who lives a life characterized by self-will, autonomy from God's word, they won't listen to God's word. Since Christ came to make us holy, the person who practices lawlessness shows that he really does not know Christ. So, verses 5 and 6. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. So Jesus did not just come to forgive sins, right? But he came to take sins away. He himself was pure, perfect, without sin. The person who lives a life practicing, a life bent towards sin, a life abiding in sin, that is a life characterized by rejecting Christ. Rejecting Christ's norms, rejecting Christ's calls, rejecting the word of God. The life that says, I want to do it my way, over what God says in his word. That person shows they do not belong to Christ. They do not know Christ. See why that's an important question? The person. John's talking to these people. Think about who these people are. These people are in churches, right? These people would say, I'm a Christian. These people, would, these people are teaching in churches, This is, a, this is a shocking statement, but listen, this is true. This is a biblically true. If you want to be his disciple, that means following him. <laughs> it means following him. Jesus made that call when he was incarnate, and that call still goes out. Follow me. Follow me. And that's not a one-time decision, though there is a de- there's a decision that has to be made, Right? But that decision just doesn't occur, and then it's over with. You make that decision, and you continue to follow Christ. You never stop following Christ. It's ongoing. He says, follow me. You need to follow him. He says, take up your cross and follow me. You know what he means by that? He doesn't 
He's not talking about Peter's mother-in-law. That's not the cross we bear. He's talking about dying. You follow me for your life. You give your life to me. Follow me. Always, forever. If you want to be disciples of Jesus, you have to follow Jesus. Now, I think that's reasonable. If you're a follower of Jesus, you want to be like him. You want to follow him. You want to do what his word says. You want to obey him. You want to love the things he loves. You want to live a life that is pleasing to him. If I follow Jesus, I do not want to live a life that contradicts what he tells me. I do not want to do that. Why? Because that shows that I don't know him. He died for my sin. I don't want to continue in my sin. Because there's many people who claim to know him, but they don't follow him. Look at verses 7 to 9. Here's the seventh point. And these seven and eight kind of go together. Here's the seventh argument. He tells you this. You do what you are. Verse 7. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. Just as he is righteous, the one who practices sin is of the devil. John is saying, you do what you are. Your deeds reveal your heart. Your actions reveal your character. All right? It's the same thing Jesus said to uh, when he uh, is with his disciples in Matthew 15, verses 11 to 18. So the Pharisees have come, and the Pharisees are challenging his disciples about some aspects of the ceremonial law. They're questioning things about unclean foods and other ceremonial observances. And in Matthew 15, 11, Jesus says this. He tells his disciples, It is not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. Okay? So it's not what's going in. It's not eating the food that defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. And later on, in verse 18, he explains, So what comes out of the mouth, where does it come from? The heart. You do what you are. Things a person says, they're a reflection of who they already are in their heart. That's what makes you unclean. Jesus is saying your actions, your public display, of it's a display of what you are on the inside. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. Now I want to pause there, because we want to be clear here. He is not saying that you're saved by righteousness. You need to understand that. He's not saying, if you will be good enough or holy enough, then you'll be saved. If you practice righteousness, God will accept you as righteous. Nope, it's not what he's saying. He's not saying, if you practice righteousness, you'll be saved. He's not even saying this. If you believe and you practice righteousness, God will save you. That's not what he's saying. He is saying, 
If God has done a work of grace in your heart, if you truly believe on Christ alone for salvation as he's offered to us in the gospel, if by faith alone you've rested in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then this is how you're going to live. This is how you live. The evidence that God's grace is working in your heart is going to be seen in your life. Your righteousness wrought by the Holy Spirit of God will be evidenced. How? In what you do, how you talk, how you live. It'll be, it becomes evident. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. So it's not that God will accept us as righteous as long as we make ourselves righteous. It's not what he's saying. It's not that God will accept us as righteous if we believe and do good things. No, 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 no. But those who believe on Christ, they're accepted by God. They're declared righteous because of what Christ has done. And then he, his life, her life, is going to be marked as a life of righteousness. But the, the reverse of that's true as well, Right? Notice what he says, and this might even be shocking as you read it. The one who practices sin is of the devil. A life that is bent towards sin, a life that's characterized by the rejection of God's word, a life that refuses to seek and to pursue the holiness of God in Christ. That life, that bears the, light, the mark of the devil. You do whose you are. It's not just that you do what you are. You do whose you are. Whose you are. Verse 9. No one who is born of God practices sin. The child of God bears the mark of whose child he is. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. He cannot sin because he is born of God. The one who practices sin shows he's not of the Heavenly Father. He's not born of God. So you do whose you are. So whose are you? Are you Christ's? Are you the devil's? That's just bluntly putting it, right? Whose are you? Our lives shows whose we are, whether we are Christ or of the devil. Now, I want to pause right there. Because it would be easy to read this passage and say, now, is he teaching some kind of sinless perfectionism? I mean, that you could. I came out of a holiness background. That's how we read that. Is this saying I have to be perfect in order to be a Christian? Wouldn't that be a sad thought? You have to be perfect to be a Christian? We can all give up hope. But John's not saying either of those things. He's, he's already addressed that. John chapter 1, verse, I mean, 1 John chapter 1, when he says, Christians aren't sinlessly perfect. All right? 
If he was saying that here, he'd be contradicting what he said earlier. No, he said, Christians cannot be sinlessly perfect. If we say we do not sin, we lie. So he's already addressed that. Does sin in the Christian mean you're not really a Christian? Do you wake up today? Um, and out of your heart, you grumble. I'm not even going to some, I thought about doing some kind of really crazy sin. I'm not going to, you grumble. You just wake up, man, I hate the mornings. That's what I have to say. Does that mean that when I wake up, I'm not a Christian until I crawl up beside my bed and ask God to forgive me for grumbling? No. No. Does sin in the Christian life mean that one is not really a Christian? No, 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 no. He's faithful. He forgives us, right? We ask an ongoing forgiveness of sin. The Christian is going to have sins come up in their lives. No. Sin in the Christian life is not the issue he's, he's addressing, right? It's not what he's addressing. He's addressing this. A person who claims to be a Christian but is bent or abides in sinning or their habit or their characteristic of their life is not in accordance with their, God's word and they're okay with that? That person is not living in accordance with the grace of God in their life. They are not living according to the truth of God's word. They are not following the way of righteousness. That's what John is dealing with. All right? Do Christians sin? Yes. Do Christians sin more than once? Yes. Does that make them not Christians? No. John's asking about the bent of your heart. What's the habit? What's the characteristic of your life? He's saying that reveals whose we are. What does your life say about you? Whose are you? Whose are you? And then verse 10. Here's the eighth argument, right? The children of God, the children of God and the children of the devil, they are distinguishable by this contrast of their subtle habit and character. He says, by this, the children, of, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not born of God, the one who does not love, nor the one who does not love his brother. So John's concern for Christians, pursue holiness. Pursue holiness. Those who know Christ, will want to be like Christ. That's what he lays out. You pursue it. If you're Christ, you want to be like Christ. I want to be like him. I cry out to my father, make me like your son. I want to be more like Jesus. Lord, guard me against the temptation of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Because I, I desire to be more and more like Jesus. Will you pray that regularly? That I want to, will 2024, will you, I want to be more like Christ this year than I was last year? That's what John's urging us to do here. 
is not only to relish the forgiveness of sins, and we pray, we're so thankful that he forgives our sins. Man, in Christ, my sins are wiped away far as the east is from the west. Hallelujah. But I also recognize he came to change me, to make me like himself, to conform me to the image of his father. The very, we're told that Jesus is the very image of the invisible God. As we're made more like Christ, we're made like God in this moral purity. And then know this, one day, he'll change us completely. So, even as we close, and Christian, that's what we do. If you're hearing you're not a Christian, I don't want you to hear me and say, I really need to pick it up. That's not what he's telling you to do. This hope, this change, this forgiveness happens where? In Christ. In Christ. So what do you do? You need to repent of your sin and believe that Christ will save to the uttermost. That's the, that's the sweetness of the free offer that's being offered is Christ will save you to the uttermost. You cannot save yourself. He will save you. He will do that. So if you're not a believer, come to Christ. Now, right now, repent of sin. Put your hopes in his finished work that he died for your sake. And then what do you do? live for him. That marks, that marks our lives. That marks our lives, friends. So, may God help us to pursue that righteousness by grace. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, um, the gospel is not that we should pursue righteousness, but the gospel enables us, O oh Lord, to pursue righteousness. The gospel tells us that we have been forgiven in Christ and that we are accepted not because of what we are, because what we've done, indeed in spite of what we've done. The gospel is good news to us. Because it declares what has been done for us in Christ. And so, Lord, if we accept him, if we're going to be counted as your children, the gospel not only enables us to be counted as children of God, to be called your children, but also to live like your children. So, Lord, would you give us more and more that desire in this congregation that we would be more like Christ, who is like his heavenly Father. Lord, for those who are outside of Christ, may they cease all their striving and doing and rest in the finished work of Jesus.
may they then, having been given eternal life, rise and follow Christ for the rest of their lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.